We're going to turn tonight to Matthew chapter 18 and take a text here in a moment. But first, I would like for you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're going to be, begin reading in verse 18 out of the New Living Translation. I have questions about Bible versions from time to time. I have definite opinions on them. Um, uh, message is not a Bible. Uh, the Passion Translation is not a Bible nor a translation. So that's an oxymoron in its name. Um, King James, New King James, ESV. Um, others are word-for-word -word translations. Um, NLT is a mixture of word-for-word -word and thought-for-thought. And I read everything, just so you know, I read and study everything against the King James Version. Not because I think Paul used the King James, but because every good study material in the world is based on the King James Version. And the Bible says, I, I don't like getting in arguments over, over versions because people think King James is the only version. And I always wonder what the Spanish-speaking people and the French-speaking people and all of those people use for a Bible. And then I wonder what people used until 1611. And then I wonder, well, I know what people used before 1611. Wycliffe was one of the first ones and uh, before King James. And um, before that was called the Dark Ages. And it was the Dark Ages for a reason because Rome uh, shut the... Every Bible was printed in Latin. And the Bibles that it existed were chained shut to the altar of the churches of the world. And... Um, and the 1611 King James has went through at least three or four major revisions since then, and most people don't even realize that. They say, I use the original King James. I highly doubt it. I'll send you copies of the original King James and challenge you to read it to me and tell me what it means. So I highly doubt it. So I do think it's among the best versions, but it's not the only version. And if you use a real translation... Uh, I think the best version of the Bible is the one that you will read. <laughs> it's the one that you will read and understand. There are definitely different uh, uh, strengths to language. And, um, but anywho, that was all just a preface. That was, that was for all the people that will watch me later and declare me a heretic because I didn't use the King James. Y'all ought to laugh every once in a while. Y'all are too serious. I don't take much serious. You've heard me say that before. I love life. I like to laugh at you, at laugh at me, laugh at things. Uh, I take my calling extremely seriously, and I take the Word of God extremely seriously. Other than that, you ought to laugh. And I'll back it up with Scripture because a merry heart does good like a medicine. Yeah, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. So there ain't no, reason, there ain't no wonder some of you wore out all the time. Because you look like you've been baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> Acts chapter 20. Paul is given a, a, a farewell address, really. And I think it's important to what I have to say the rest of the night. I've got to hurry now. But I'm going to try not to do that. <laughs> Acts chapter 20. Paul is speaking. He's, he's uh, given, Luke has given an account of Paul's closing days here. Paul makes a, a statement that he says, When I arrive, verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 18. He says, When they arrived, he declared, Paul is the speaker here, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from a plot of the Jews. I've never, listen, I've never shrunk back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. Let me read that again. I have never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear either publicly or in your homes. Now, I want to insert something right here that some people's going to find brash and maybe offensive and all those things, but it's absolutely true. The minister of the five-fold ministry, whether it's a pastor, evangelist, apostle, 
prophet, teacher, it doesn't matter. They're all charged with, it, it, should, it should never be of any concern to the minister what the people want to hear. The least concern that any preacher ought to have in the pulpit, any now or ever, is what the people want to hear. Now, and today, uh, in, a, in a world of, of uh, your truth and my truth and all that, I mean, that just rubs people the wrong way. But Paul is, is, is declaring that here. And uh, when, he, when Peter and John stood before the magistrates in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4, they, he, they, he said, you know, would you rather that I obey you or men or God? So the truth of the gospel is not dependent on what people want to hear. Can we just establish that? I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. Can I say that again? Either publicly or in your homes. Can I say that a different way? Either publicly in a service or privately amongst just us. I've never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have one message for the, I, I have had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me. Except that the Holy Spirit tells me in the city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. So because of his message, I want you to understand that Paul knows what he's heading into. It's jail and suffering. Why? Because of what he preaches. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. This is his parting words. To the, to the audience that he's speaking to. I'm, 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 be, I'm leaving compelled by the Spirit. I don't know what awaits me, but it's not good by earthly standard. And this is the last time you're going to see me. Okay? He says, and I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. Hmm. So guard, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in to you after I leave, sparing not the flock. We're going to stop there. I have told you everything you needed to know, whether in public or in private. I have defended the Word of God. It costs me everywhere I go. If you end up in hell, it's not going to be on me because I told you everything you needed to know. What am I doing right now? I am paraphrasing. <laughs> I'm bringing it down to us. He said, I, I, you're not going to see me anymore. I've spared nothing. I've told you everything. When I go, you can be, just be assured that there's going to be wolves come in among you, and they're going to go after you, and they're not going to spare the flock. Let me tell you something about a wolf. A wolf is not, it's not it's there to do nothing but destroy the sheep. And I still have no idea where it entered in the church world mind. I can't figure it out ever. Uh, where it entered into the church world mind that we are supposed to be kind to wolves. A shepherd's job is not to be kind to wolves. A shepherd's job is to protect the sheep and to feed the sheep. The word pastor literally means shepherd. The pastor's job, I am a pastor, I'm, I'm confident in saying I'm more than a pastor, but I am a pastor. And the pastor's job 
is to feed the sheep and to protect the sheep. Paul said the job is to hold nothing back. I say that because I see it becomes more and more and more and more and more apparent to me day by day by day by day that Scripture is no longer the standard even in the church and even in the pulpit. It is your opinion of the Scripture and how you feel. And it's also apparent to me that there's no idea, no concept within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today of structure and of church discipline. That's, that's apparent. And it's because the scripture is not, uh, we don't take it for what it says. And for years, you hear me say often, we, 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 we have had on a, if it was, if it's spiritual Twinkies and Ding Dongs is what I call it. Now in my life, there is a place for Twinkies and Ding Dongs or whatever it is you happen to like. I'm not much of a Twinkie guy. And ding-dongs haven't been good since they quit putting them in foil. Somebody say amen. (laughs) But there's a place for them, but they're not your diet. There's been a place for a lot of things that have been preached for the last 50 years, but it has has been spiritual Twinkies and ding-dongs, and that's what's been the best of it. There's been a lot of it that was just rat poison. I read something last week that just, I mean, I shared it on Facebook because that's what I do uh, because um, it's quite a platform. And, um, and you see a lot and you read a lot and you hear a lot and, and it's an exposure that people say, oh, you, you know, you don't need to be in my business. Well, you put it out there. You know, and people will tell who they are. And one of the things, I, just, I wish I'd have put a picture of it, but how many of you have seen, uh, uh, if you're on social media, if you wasn't, just listen to me, I'll tell you about it. And there, was a, there was a meme going about, it was everywhere last week. It said that the uh, test of Christianity is not loving Jesus Christ, but loving Judas. Anybody see it? It was everywhere. Anybody see it? So let me say it again, because about half of you. The test of true Christianity is not loving Jesus Christ, but loving Judas. I've got to hurry. So let me establish that. For one thing, it had who, the, who wrote the quote and the group that it's attributed to. Anytime you share something, by the way, you ought to find out who said it. You should find out who said it. You say, what are you talking about? Well, it's important. It's, it's set in the stage. And if you know the Word of God, how many of you have ever heard me say, you ought to know the Word of God? Anybody ever heard me mention that? You ought to know the Word of God. If you know the Word of God, discernment will be in you. Because people say, I got the gift of discernment. Uh, there ain't no such thing as the gift of discernment. Discernment comes by knowing the Word of God, by knowing truth. If you know the truth... You will be discerning. Period. Any, every believer that knows the word of God should be discerning. Amen. How many of you know that when you go to work at a bank, they don't teach you how to identify counterfeits by handling counterfeit? Does everybody know that? They teach you to identify counterfeit by handling real, 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 real. And then after a while, they slip a counterfeit in there and they let you handle that money fast as you can handle it and when when you've handled real long enough you'll pull that fake one out just like that that's how the word of God works when you handle the truth and you get it in you and you know it you will you're you will be discerning because you know what's true now the gift of discerning of spirits is a whole different thing that is a supernatural ability given by God it's beyond you it's a it's a it's a manifestation of the holy spirit that works in you to know what spirit is motivating someone 
That's discerning of spirits. That is a supernatural occurrence, a manifestation of the spirit in the spirit-filled believer when it's needed. Discerning comes from just knowing what's true and handling truth so much that the lie just jumps out. And when you read a line that says that the test of true Christianity is not knowing Jesus Christ, you ought to have stopped right there. Oh, he found it. The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus Christ, it's loving Judas. Nothing past the comma matters. Nothing past the comma matters. Because they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment is one time. You remember that? The greatest commandment and Jesus himself, it's written in red. I'll explain that in a minute too. It's written in red. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Mind. The test of Christianity is loving Jesus. It's loving God. It's the greatest commandment. So nothing past the comma mattered. He said, and the second is likened to the first, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, there's no second until you get the first. So, it is a completely false statement. 100% false. It's not partially true. It's 100% false. I'm trying to teach Mag Church something tonight, and I'm not going to get as far as I want to. I can already tell. We got to, we've got to dispel with the notion of your truth or my truth or relative truth or partial truth or whatever truth. There's only truth. This generation, and I'm, I'm going to speak in terms of that because it's been polled, it's been questioned, it's been surveyed. It's the, the, especially, particularly with millennial and Z, the, the biggest problem this generation has is no absolute truth. If there's no absolute truth, then I don't know what we're going to do. It even manifested in, in the classroom for a long time in, in the form of Common Core, literally, Common core math was on the procedure and not on the outcome. Teachers, is that true or not true? The procedure was, was what was graded on, not the answer. Uh, by the way, the answer to a math problem is called a what? No, that's not what the answer to a math problem is. It's a fact. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, not, I'm putting people on the spot. That when you, the, the, the answer to a math problem is a fact. Hey, engineer, if 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4, then planes fall out of the sky. Is that true? Bridges collapse. Buildings can't stand. We all agree? It's got to be right. That's just a very simple example. The Word of God has to be true. And there's no your truth or my truth. It's just truth. So I, I posted this on Facebook. There's a lot of things. I just don't, I, believe it or not, I don't get involved in everything. But when it comes to widespread lies, widespread deception, things that I see my people and friends buying into that, that matter, I don't care if, you, if, if you're, if you're AT&T versus Android and y'all want to fight about that all day. I don't care about that. Or people will put on there, recommend me a good restaurant and, and, or recommend me a good doctor or whatever, and there's as many opinions as there is people. Who cares? But when it comes to the truth of the Word of God and people being deceived in the culture and the toilet, I care. When it comes to pastors and, and, and people that surround me that should know better, I care. I, I mean, I, I absolutely feel one of the main thrusts of my calling is, is sound doctrine and teaching the Word of God. I care. 
Within two minutes of posting that the other day, I had three rebukes in my, on my page or in my inbox from conservative pastors that I never hear from. But, but when it comes to challenging things that are false, the first people to come after you at the jugular is other believers, other pastors. And it has pointed out to me that the, the problem is worse than I could have ever imagined, even though I had a pretty big imagination on how bad it is. Well, I just felt like they were saying, well, first of all, you don't know them. And you obviously haven't looked them up because if you looked up the guy's names right there, you would have found out that he is a radical, radical social justice warrior and every, and every other thing. He is a radical calling for violence against the people of God, but posing as a pastor. So let me tell you something. He meant exactly what he said, not what I nuanced it to mean or what everybody read. Oh, well, I just, I just took it to mean that loving Jesus was easy and loving the one that betrayed you is hard. Well, I want to tell you, it's not always easy to love Jesus because Jesus challenges me. It tell, the Bible tells you he's the rock of offense. He's the stumbling stone. He's the stone that the builders rejected that's become the chief cornerstone. He tells us he, that he's the offensive one. The, pro, people, the world doesn't have a problem with the idea of God or the idea of a, of a supreme being or the idea of, of, of anything supernatural. They're chasing supernatural. We wouldn't be having seances and, and cemetery grave sucking and, and tarot cards and demon-inspired everything if people were afraid of the supernatural. They're not offended by what's supernatural. They're not offended by God, the idea of God. They're offended by Jesus Christ. Because he claims not only absolute truth, but he is absolute truth, and he is the only way. And even among so-called Christians, we stumble over him being the only way. And can I, can I clear something up for you real quick? The red letter editions of the Word of God was a marketing gimmick by a printing house about 120 years ago. The, 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 scribes, the scribes and the translators did not write in red ink. Now, I like red ink because it helps you find stuff real quick. Hello. But the words of Jesus are not the words in red. Jesus, I'll remind you in John 1 and 1, is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the was, was with God, the same was in the beginning with God. Remember 14 says the Word became flesh. The, Jesus, the Word of Jesus, Jesus and the Word cannot be separated. They are one and the same. Therefore, the word of Jesus is from Genesis 1 and 1 to Revelation, what is it, 23, 21? Does that sound right? I don't want to be misquoted because, man, they hold you to this stuff like missing a comma. 22, 21. All Jesus, all the word. He is the living word. Why does that matter? Well, when we get into all these discussions, it leads to some other things. Like last Wednesday night, towards the end of the thing, I went back and watched all of last Wednesday night because I talked from James on some things, and I thought, I might have got off subject. It led to one thing. So I went back and listened to the whole thing. I do that often, by the way. I listen to me a lot over. I send what I say to, to lots of pastors, word people, to hold myself accountable for what's true. Yes? to make sure I don't get off on a tangent, to make sure I don't get off in the flesh, to make sure I'm not wrong. Because I want to tell you something, I'm not here to defend me tonight. I'm, my apologetics is not about defending the preacher. And, if I, and, and it's not about correcting the record. It's not about any of those things. It's about that, that there could be nothing of more important for the man of God that stands and teaches the Word of God to be right. There could be absolutely nothing more important to my calling and, uh, and standing behind the sacred desk than to being right. 
And at the end of last Wednesday night, most of you will remember, I I addressed by name Creflo Dollar, who has made the news all around the world. I'm thankful to say that many, 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 many names bigger than me and lots more have come out correcting the record by name because that's what was scriptural. And I, I got criticized for mentioning Mario Murillo, so I'll say it again, although I never insulted Mario Murillo. What I said was, if Mario Murillo, who is a solid, great preacher, doesn't separate himself from the heretics and, and, and the shysters and the prosperity pimps, that he is going to be fall in the same hole that they're in because he's not special. How many of you know nobody is special? That what applies for him applies for me and, and vice versa to everybody else. Hello? So I went back and listened to all of it to make sure I wasn't crazy. And then I started hearing from people about, well, you should go to them in private. And you should go to them at Matthew 18, blah, blah, blah. And that was in that, that, so that's what led me to where I'm at to now is Matthew 18. That's a long introduction, so we've got to hurry. Sometimes you've got to know the why. And I gave you good stuff already. And when it comes down to people, see, people can't, the church is struggling over. The people of God is struggling over the Word of God. Let me tell you, the Word of God, let me tell you something about Jesus and the New Covenant and versus the law. Can I, can I just give you a tidbit real quick so you can go look it up? Jesus never one time, not once, ever lowered the bar. He never lowered the bar. Because people want to think that, you know, in this love and grace and grace and love and grace and love and love and grace. The old covenant bad, new covenant good. Jesus, you don't have to worry about any standard anymore. Jesus never one time lowered the bar. Because what, what Jesus and Paul taught was that the law defines sin and that we knew the exceeding wickedness of, the, uh, of sin because of the law, but the, but, the, but the curse of the law was in that the law defines sin, but it had no power to save from sin. But, but Jesus was manifest, for this cause the Son of Man was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. You shall bear a son, and, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall be called Jesus. He shall save the world from their sin. And, and what happened is as the Word became flesh, he made the way for the Holy Spirit to indwell in you instead of just with you, and the, and the, which gave you the power. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So what you couldn't do in your flesh and you still can't do in your flesh that when you receive Christ and you're, and you're regenerated, when you're redeemed, when you've, been, when, you've been, when you've been purchased back, when you make Him Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, not your power, His power, that you have the power to live out what God has asked you to do. The law was, was weak through the flesh. And so there's this misnomer out there that says that the, that, the, that the old covenant no longer applies and I ain't going to go into tithing and all that tonight. I will soon. One of the reasons I've never taught at length at Mag Church on, on tithing that much is not because I'm afraid of mentioning money. You know I've mentioned it less than probably any preacher you've ever known. And one of the reasons that it, but tithing is just as much a part of the Word of God as anything else. And it is just as much part of worship as, as, as singing hallelujah. And tithing was before the law. Tithing didn't come from the law. But everybody talks about from the law, from the law, from the law. The, the, the part of the law that Jesus fulfilled is the, is, is the part that can cause you to walk in it. The moral law is, is still the same. Nobody's trying to get rid of thou shalt not kill. Hello? Well, that's law. I mean, that's Ten Commandments. That's his law of Moses, as law as Moses gets. But Jesus didn't lower the bar. He said, you say, the law says that thou shalt not kill. He said, I say that if you talk, if you gossip about your brother, you have murder in your heart. Is that, hey, is that a higher bar or is that a lower bar? He says, the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Let me ask you a question. Is that lowering the bar or is that raising the bar? Hey? 
So we got all these mixed up ideas because of bad teaching or lack of teaching or, or both. And then, you know, and then when you call it out because, you know, it's important to know what the Bible says because this is the word we live by. You got to know what's true. It's the only way. You got to know what's true. Well, you call this out. You got people leading. So I want to cover three things as quickly as I can that are really quick about, about how things are supposed to be approached because I've, I've got pretty strong rebuke because I say pretty strong things and people don't I, I get myself in trouble when I say things like you mess with people's idols you'll find their demons but you know that there's more than, that, 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 that uh, concerning offenses between in the church that there's, that there's three different four different occasions that the Bible addresses and it's more than Matthew 18 Because they say, well, you ought to just go to these people. You're supposed to go to them in private. And if they don't receive you, they're supposed to take someone with you. If they don't receive you, then, then you bring them for the church. Let me tell you something. Matthew 18, let's read it. This is what they're quoting at. You listen fast. I'm trying to... Are you with me? Matthew 18, verse 15. It says, moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, First of all, let's not go past that sentence. If your brother shall trespass against you, this is a personal grievance. This is not a corporate grievance. This is a personal grievance. This is how to handle a personal matter. If your brother trespass against you, that means offends you, sins against you, does you wrong, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Everybody read it? Everybody understand it? It's clear. And if he hear you, you have gained your brother. End of statement. But, how many knows but cancels everything? That was just, it's a conjunction that cancels everything that was just said. Yes? If he will not hear you, then take, one, take with you one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him, let him be to you as a heathen man and a publican. Oh, that doesn't sound... Uh, that's red, by the way. I don't think some people would even recognize Jesus today. They'd say he wasn't very Christ-like. This is a, when a brother comes against you, is a pro, Matt, if you come against me, I'm not going to come to the pulpit Sunday and lambast Matt for, for doing me wrong. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 5 again. This is a different situation. Matthew chapter 5, you'll know that as the Sermon of the Mount. This all right, y'all? Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23. And by the way, Jesus, most of the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus addressing the new way versus the old covenant. <laughs> Everything I just quoted about, but I say, the law says, but I say to you, comes from Matthew chapter 5. Are you there? Matthew chapter 5, 23. Therefore, if you bring a gift, if you bring your gift to the altar... And remember that your brother has ought against you. Now, Matthew 18 is when you have ought against your brother. Matthew 5 is when your brother has ought against you. And it says, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Let me tell you something the two have in common. Because can I, can I just be us today? Can y'all can y'all pretend with me a minute? They done they done me wrong, and you're gonna say, "Well, just go to them, talk about it." Well, if they if they got something to say to me, they can come to me. I ain't going to them. If they got something to say to me. They know where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> 
I still live at the same address, still have the same phone number. Road runs both ways. I'm looking all the way to the back because I know that hit everybody right between the eyes. There's not a person in this room. Bam! Scripturally, whether you have done your brother wrong or whether they have done you wrong, if you're the one that, has the, that the Holy Spirit has dealt with and brought to your attention, scripturally, it's up to you every single time. Whether it was them or whether it was you, it says if your brother done you wrong and you're going to, it said leave your offering at the altar, go reconcile to your brother. When you've made it right, come and get it and then come. And if, you're, and if it's the other way around, then go to them and give them the chance to repent. That's right. And if they don't, if they refuse, you take somebody with you. So you got some witnesses. Because they're going to say, well, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Didn't Two or three witnesses. And the obligation, the personal, oh, here's a big word. The personal responsibility. In every case of offense, whether you've offended your brother or your brother has offended you, is to go to them, not for them to come to you. Woo! That stinks! I don't like it! Neither do you! Especially if you've been wrong. I don't know. Sometimes when you do the wrong, it's the hardest prideful thing in the world. What's the hardest two words in the world for you to say, men? Well, no, we got a yes, ma'am, down. That's how you live this long. It's, I'm sorry. Good preaching. So we've handled some church discipline already and what our responsibility is in it. I notice that it doesn't say God's going to compel you to. Who do you think brought it to your attention anyway? Who do you think dealt with your heart when you come to bring your, when your gift to the altar? Who do you think dealt with you at the altar that your, that, that your brother was mad at you? Who do you think, who do you think dealt with you in Matthew, in Matthew 18 to leave and go, uh, to go back to him and try to make it right? Who, the, we are never like the world and it's always our responsibility to do what's right. Somebody look at me and hear me. It is always your responsibility to do what's right, no matter who was at fault. Because you're not going to stand before God for what you've done to me. Matt, if you become a wretched, vile man that I can't stand to see your face, and I'm standing before God, I am not going to answer for what you did to me. But I am going to answer for how I handled you. And you're not going to say, well, if you know what he did, it's like kindergarten. Well, he hit me first. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. It's our responsibility. So, what I'm telling you is Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18 has nothing to do with the wolf, with the false prophet, and what you, and what you name in public. Hello? Everybody says, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, Matthew 18. Well, I, I'm not having a problem with my brother. I'm having a problem with somebody destroying the truth of the Word of God that's going to affect the whole church. It's going to affect the whole church. Now, let me tell you, there's some things that we disagree on within the realm of orthodoxy and Christianity that, we, that, we, that, that it's not far out, that it's age-old disputes. Listen, I am never going to call out some guy because he's a once-saved, always-saved preacher. I'm going to nail the bad doctrine of one saved, always saved, but that is not, that is not a destruction to the, to the body of Christ. That is, that is an age-old dispute of interpretation. Nor am I going to crucify a guy for having a moral failure that he's repented of. 
Boy, we're mixed up because we want to crucify some guy that had a moral failure whenever. The Bible does not address that if they repent. Because I had somebody throw, well, when Nathan come to David, he come to him in private. Are y'all still with me? Am I, are y'all able to follow the line here? I'm talking about how things are supposed to be handled by the Word of God. I said, that is true. Nathan come to David privately. And I said, but do you know why? I said, because David had sex with Bathsheba in the privacy of his bedroom, not in the town square. Oh, y'all just, uh, ever, half of you sucked up the seat halfway because I said David had sex with Bathsheba. <laughs> it's in the book. And by the way, it was handled privately and David instantly repented. But even in his instant repentance, uh, is there any human being in the, in the history of the world that their sin is more wider known and more wider publicized than David? Even in his private confession, his private repentance, his, his repentance is one of the greatest of the Psalms. His, his story is one of the greatest accounts of the Word of God. His failures were large. He, he done privately, he repented privately, but the consequences were very public. In fact, part of the consequences pronounced by, by, by Nathan, to, he said, God's going to spare your life because, by the way, David had, quit, had committed death penalty offenses. The adultery and the murder of Uriah were death penalty offenses. God could have struck him dead on the spot and been justified in doing it. But Nathan said, because you repented, because of your heart, God is going to spare your life, but this is what's going to happen. He said, bloodshed, war will never leave your household the rest of your life. He said, first of all, the baby that was conceived is going to die. Bloodshed is never, there'll be, there's going to be turmoil among your children. There, that bloodshed will never leave your household. And what you've done in private, your son is going to do to you before the whole nation. And that's exactly what happened. I'm talking about how things are supposed to be handled scripturally. You with me? And guess what? The way a preacher is handled and the way a brother is handled scripturally are two completely different things. The Bible is clear that the teacher, that the preacher has, is held to a higher standard of judgment than the person in the pew. Now, it doesn't say they're superhuman. It doesn't say they have super strength. And it doesn't say, and it doesn't say that they have any more resistance to sin than anybody else. But it does say they have a higher standard of accountability, a higher judgment, and a higher penalty. Well, that's not fair. That's because God is just, and He didn't, He doesn't care about your standard of fair. This is the Word of God. Well, we're not supposed to judge anybody. Let me, as we're moving quickly, let's read First Corinthians chapter five. Now, Paul, so just, I want you to read the whole context later when you're at home, but I'll tell you that the immediate context is not to associate with those who, who claim to be a believer but yet indulges in all kinds of sin, sexual sin, greed, idol worship, abusive, a drunkard, a cheats people, and don't even eat with such. He says, don't even eat with such people. That's New Testament. That's New Testament. That's not Old Testament. That's New Testament. It's not talking about the world. It's talking about the people that are sitting right in the church house, making every claim to be believers, making everything to be a Christian, and they're indulging. It doesn't say they failed every now and then. It's, it says that they're indulging in all these sin. It says, to, it says to challenge them if they won't repent, to put them out. Don't even eat with them. Until they repent, then restore them. Boy, people can't handle see, this. See, see, Jesus is no pushover. And the truth of the Word of God is pretty straightforward. And as far as judging, see, can we re read the Scripture now? Read the Scripture in 12. It says, for isn't it my, it isn't my responsibility, Paul is speaking, 
He said, it isn't my, my responsibility to judge outsiders. Let me help you with that. Don't be shocked when sinners sin. Don't be, the world's going to be the world. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. And, and Paul gives you the explanation why he says, it's not my job to judge that out there. Are you hearing me? I remind you, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not the author. I'd draw the royalties. I'm not the author. It said, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly is your responsibility to judge those within the house of God who are sinning. Oh. I don't know if you're supposed to judge. Paul said, if you'll judge yourself, nobody else will have to. He said, uh, while you're judging, judge righteous judgment. He says, it's not my judge, it's not my place to judge the world. He said, but it's certainly your responsibility to judge what's going on in the church. Oh. Well, now that was in there, preacher. Exactly. That's the whole point. We got people that sit on the pew for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, that has no idea what the Word of God says. It's certainly your responsibility to, for those inside the church. God will be the judge of those outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Mm. That's the person that claims to be a Christian and living in open, indulging and living in open sin. Cut it off. Why? Well, I didn't even get to the scripture where he tells you, Paul tells you about these things. He says, turn them over to Satan. Turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Why? So that their soul can be saved. And if you read on, just so you don't think Paul was crazy and I'm nuts, it, the whole point of it was for, for their isolation and, and their rejection and their temptation by the enemy to be so harsh that they will cry out to God and repent and turn around. He says, and then immediately, don't call Springfield. Don't call the district office. You don't have to call the presbyter. None of those things, because the scripture says when they've reprinted, restore them to fellowship. Period. That's the church. That, so we've talked about when a brother comes against you, when a brother, when you're against a brother, when a brother's against you. Now we've talked about when 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 people that claim to be believers are living in open, indulging sin in front of God and everybody. What you're supposed to do? I know I'm covering a lot, but I don't intend to spend two or three weeks on it. And then it goes to talking about what you do with the preacher. So let's turn to uh, 1 Timothy. 1 and 2 Timothy Titus are what is known as the pastoral epistles. It is Paul talking to his young protege about how to be a pastor, the qualifications of a minister, of an elder. Hello? So here's what you do if a, if a pastor's in sin. Are you ready? It's okay, Sam. <laughs> elders who do their work should be... Now, elders in this particular... So let me tell you two things so you don't get home and get confused. Chapter 5 in King James or whatever starts out with never speak harshly or never rebuke an elder in King James. And, and King James, it uses elder in two contexts. And you've got to read the context to know it. In, in chapter 5, verse 1, he's talking about an older man. He says, don't, don't rebuke an older man, somebody like, uh, harshly. And stride, like, uh, rebuke means like to strike with a stick. It means instead, treat him, talk to him like you would your father. And we know he's talking about older men because he goes on to talk about older women. He talked about, he said, handle your brother like a brother. You know what brothers do. Anybody got a brother? I had a brother. Whew. We fought. We balled up. I mean, <clears throat> you know what I mean? He said, handle your brother like a brother. He said, handle the older, the, the, your elder, an older gentleman like you would talk to your father. 
But then he goes and he talks later in the chapter about the elders of the church. And this he's talking about church leadership and pastors. You with me? It says, elders do, who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. So what's the context tell you? That's 17, Brandon. 5.17. Read it again. Look at it. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. I like that part. Especially the, those who work hard both preaching and teaching. So who's he talking about? He's talking about the preacher. For the scripture says you must not muzzle the ox from the grain, while, uh, from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. King James says the workman is worthy of his hire. It says do not listen to an accusation against the elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. He's talking about the preacher. This will serve as a strong warning to others. Oh, there's an idea going about church too that you shouldn't be, that, there, that there's no fear in the word of God. Now you shouldn't serve God because you're afraid of him. Fear, holy fear is that you respect him, that you love him, that you honor him. But I don't serve God because I'm afraid of him. I don't pay tithes because I'm afraid of him. He says, those be the, he's talking about the elder, the pastor. He said, he said, but you know, if somebody brings an accusation again, an accusation is a dime a dozen. Did you see what it said about the leader of the church? It says, he says, don't receive an accusation against them unless it's by the mouth or two or three. Unless you have ironclad proof. Hello, y'all are too quiet. I'm trying to go quick. I've got two more things to get, and it's 818. It says, it says when, when they're unrepentant is what they're talking about. That they, they are in such a position in the, and it's so important and their position is so integral to the church that you bring it out publicly against them. You've got to be in my shoes. Now let's turn to Galatians. Because I'm going to try to wrap it up and give you time to ask a question or two. Well, now you've got Peter and Paul. Paul has written a whole letter to the Galatians because the, the Judaizers, the Jews, have came back in trying to bring the church back to the law, back to the sacramental, sacrificial system, back to the old way. And Peter's involved in it. It's a big problem. Paul, it's a strong, the whole, the, Galatians was the first thing I ever taught at MAG, if you'll remember. Taught about nine months on Galatians. And it's, it's telling you that, that we live by faith and not, how, and not by, by, by the letter of the law. And that we don't, the sacrificial system is not, I mean, that's not how we live. Are you with me? And then you get to uh, Galatians chapter 2. And that's why I pointed out about elders in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says rebuke not an elder because if you don't look at the context, it's talking about how you talk to an older gentleman, somebody that has a father figure, somebody that has, somebody that has seniority, that you can correct them, but, it, but, you don't, but you don't go bash the brains in. You go talk to them with the respect that they've earned all their life. So it has nothing to do with the pastor in that, in that context. Because that's going to be important because what you're going to learn in, in Galatians chapter 2 is there's supposed to be something really big happen. And what's really big is Peter is, is the senior apostle. Hello? Peter is the senior apostle. He's one of the first called. He is who preached the inaugural address of the church on the day of Pentecost. He's an important dude. Goes quicker if you understand me. Yes? And he's older than Paul. So he is the senior apostle by, by age and by calling and by, and you with me? And so you get to Galatians chapter 2, you find out that, that Peter is participating in it. Let's go, Acts, uh, Galatians chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 11, Brandon. I hope I'm not moving too quick. just wanted to give it all to you in one load, not spread it over time. But when Peter came to Antioch, he had, I had to oppose him to his face. 
for what he did was very wrong. When I first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who, who were not circumcised, but afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter didn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Peter was a hypocrite. He was afraid of the criticism. Oh, that's the problem of the preacher today. It's not a new problem, it's an old problem. He was afraid of the criticism as these people insisted on the necessity of circumcision. But as a result, by the way, the, the issue of circumcision had already been settled in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. So it wasn't like Peter didn't know. Hello? As a result, other Jewish believers who followed Peter's hypocrisy. Oh, I told you Peter was a hypocrite. Because see, a hypocrite doesn't mean that you failed before and you've learned and you and try to help other people through and they say, you're such a hypocrite, you used to do that. That's not what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is whenever you're, you're, you're dealing with it one way here and dealing with another way here and people see that you're, that you're double-minded and that you're not standing for anything. As a result, the other Jews, so what was the problem? The problem was Peter was a hypocrite and, and what compounded it was that the church was following him. As a result of what? His hypocrisy. The other believers back. The other believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas, what's Barnabas got to do with it? Another apostle was led astray by hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter, who's speaking? Paul. When he saw what was happening, that he is leading the, the new believers away and that, that even Barnabas was following the error, he says, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you are a Jew by birth, having discarded the Jewish laws and, are like, and living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You are and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet, you, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we believe in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ, not because we obey the law, for, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But, we, but, we, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and then we are found guilty because we are abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Now can I read that in King James real quick? Not all of it. I'm not going to read all of it. I want you to hear one thing. Because that was, that was new living. And it's right. It's solid. But this is one of those times when, when the King James says it in, in such clear, strong language that you can't miss it. But they didn't move Galatians in my Bible. Sometimes it happens. Ephesians, Galatians, before Ephesians, J.R. Verse 10, King James Version says, Only they that should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Peter, Paul, Paul called out Peter in front of God and everybody at the Sunday morning meeting. That was probably at a crusade. There was a lot of people there. He's in front of the whole congregation and Peter calls out Paul in front of God and everybody. And you know why he did it? He said, because he was to be blamed. That is why. And so the, the, the scriptural standard for the doctrine that it's going to destroy people's faith and how they get to heaven is to call them out in public in front of everybody. Why? A, they were to be blamed. And B, they were following him, even Barnabas. He was destroying the church. 
He was destroying people's way to get to heaven. And it was a big deal. Things that are within the orthodoxy, uh, little small disagreements that people still go to heaven over, it's not where you lambast somebody in public. It is when they begin to proliferate widely a doctrine that is going to destroy them and the body of Christ. And then God, not only, not only is it okay, it is commanded. That is Scripture. And Jude wrote a little epistle. You think James has got some dynamite. Jude, his brother, wrote one page. And he didn't, he didn't miss anything, and he didn't waste any words talking about the false prophets. He said, he said, they are like dead autumn trees. He said, they're like clouds without water. He said, they're like trees without fruit, twice dead and plucked up by the roots. He said he went through the errors that they were teaching, and he told he said, you are to earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered to the saints. And he said when he, 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 he went on to describe all the things of how you come against the false teacher, the false doctrine, and then he said, but unto, then he went to talking about, he, he, he went on to victory about if you do what's right, that he, that he was able to keep you and to present you blameless. Jude. He says in verse 15, these people, he's talking about the false prophet, he's talking about the false teacher, he's talking about them that are destroying the faith, destroying the church. He said, to these are grumblers and complainers living only to satisfy their desires they brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. He said, but you, my dear friends, just remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted and they told you that in the last time they would become scoffers and whose purpose in life was to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions. Oh my word, I could preach there. Because I, it was just like Elijah whenever he was, he was dealing with Ahab and Jezebel. When he called them before everybody, if you remember, Ahab, Ahab the wicked king and Jezebel his wicked die. When the righteous prophet of God stood before him, he said, there's Elijah, the troubler of Israel. Like, it, like Elijah was the problem. And I'm going to tell you today, stand for true. Be a preacher. Stand for true. And you'll find out from within the household of faith supposedly, that you are public enemy number one. And I want to read to you one more time what Jude says about it, okay? It says, but these scoffers, their purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating the division among you. They follow their natural instincts. Well, that just seems good to me. I mean, the Bible, the truth of the word, just the truth, they don't, well, they ain't going to tell you that. But, they, but they, they, you know, doing what the Bible says just seems so hard. It seems so unfair. It seems so embarrassing. It seems so unright following their natural instincts. You know, let me tell you that the natural instincts that of the unredeemed man are an enmity with God. These people who are creating divisions among you, my fellow, they follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. Boy, and if I'd have said that, I'd have got stoned on the square. But Jude is telling you that these liars and these thieves and these people that are, that are laying up and teaching false doctrine, named them in eight different ways through his epistle, he said, these people are the problem. And they're doing it because of they're working out of their own flesh. And because they do not have the Spirit of God in them. By the way, that means they're not your brother. It doesn't matter if they have credentials. It doesn't matter if they pastored for 70 years. It doesn't matter if they're your mamma, if they're your papa. It doesn't matter if they're your favorite TV preacher. It doesn't matter any of those things that they're teaching against the Word of God. They are, the, the, the truth speaker is not the divider. They are. 
And it says that they're doing this out of their own flesh, and the reason they're doing it out of their own flesh is because God's Spirit is not in them. And I don't know if you know it, but when he says God's Spirit, you cannot be a born-again believer. You cannot be God's child. You cannot be saved. You cannot go to heaven. I don't know how many ways to tell you. If the Spirit of God is not in you, you're not His. But you, he's talking to me again, in you. i got to hurry. got people going to work early. Dear friends must build up their self upon their most holy faith, prayer, and the Holy Spirit, and wait for the mercy of God, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you to eternal life in this way. You will, he, he, you, will he keep yourself safe in God's love, and you must show mercy to those who are, whose faith is wavering. Rescue him, those, by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy on still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now, to all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and to bring you into, with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Now, I'm going to say amen there because it's late. And I'm going to ask you real quick, you know, it's kind of anticlimactic, but there, I've thrown a lot of info out in the last little bit, a lot of really solid teaching, and I'm going to give you real quick, don't hesitate. If you've got questions, ask it. Shouldn't even be controversial tonight. No questions? Not a one? Question, comment. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you teach us, that you instruct us, that you guide us, that you give us clarity and ability to communicate. Lord, I pray that your word is taken into the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray that we are, thir- that we are equipped and that we are ready for every good work. Lord, I know that your word is true and, and that it is, our, it is our weapon of offense, our offensive weapon. It is what we charge the gates of hell with. And Lord, that it, it, is, it is quick, it is powerful, and it, is, and, and it, will, do, it will do what it is sent forth to do. Lord, I thank you that it's settled in heaven. I thank you that it's our everyday guide. I thank you that it lights my path and it shows me the way to go. I pray that, Lord, that, that your spirit go now and with us forever. And Lord, that you, uh, that you, that you make the, your words true and quicken it to our remembrance and the people that have heard. And we thank you for it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Shake hands, be friendly, the Lord loves you.